If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn this evening to Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Maybe some of you are wondering, are we not in Luke chapter 15? Well, we are in one series, and then there's another one which we have been uh, giving ourselves to every December since 2020, 2020, 2021, and now 2022. We continue in our December series, which takes the form of looking at the texts that are part of Handel's Messiah. So, if you're not aware of what Handel's Messiah is, then this is an encouragement to you to familiarize yourself with it uh, this December and other occasions as well to uh, listen to it. And I think I said this before, that certainly was not in my youth. I, 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 you know, you have these moments as living as a first-generation Christian and with your children that are second-generation, uh, and you're seeing the environment and seeing them ha- get all excited and interested in classical music. It just it's so alien to me when I see. Elisa and Lois, you know, being able to identify various composers and identify various pieces, and I, I have no idea about any of it. But I did quickly, after my conversion, uh, was uh, brought into uh, as face-to-face with, with Handel's Messiah. Went to see it live, didn't know really what to think the first time, but on a second experience, it, it began to really strike me. And one of the things that's very helpful, if you are new to it, is to follow the texts. So bring the texts up and follow them. See what it is, because almost in every case it is word for word, straight out of the authorized translation of the Scriptures. So when you do that and you're thinking of what's this saying and what's the music, how it's being paired with... uh, the words, it, it's, it's, I find it, even for someone like me who has so little knowledge of music, I, I find it very encouraging and edifying. So uh, that's my kind of annual pitch of Handel's Messiah. I um, encourage you to give consideration to it if you have not already. I know many of you do, and probably you've already, you've already got it playing, you've already gone through it maybe once or twice. That may be the case for some. I know it is for a number well, what we have been doing is going through the verses that are addressed. I'm not here to preach Handel. I'm here to look at the text that he uses. And so when you come to it and think about it, you, you have kind of a, a more color in those texts, what's being said here. And I, I trust it will be encouragement to you again this December as we work through the text that we come to. So we're in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we will read from verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as a spouse wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, 
The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Amen. May the Lord bless His Word to each of our hearts and give us light in it here tonight. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Our God, we are thankful for the truth of incarnate deity. There is no other religion that compares Everything fabricated by men fails to understand the true need that we have. We're glad that the way of our salvation was not left up to man to solve, but God took in hand what was needed and sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Gracious God, help us. Help us to enjoy our particular focus upon it at this time of year. Some may mock such things. They may ridicule such things. We pray that we would find great joy in it and that there's a place for giving focus to great truths, great realities, embedding them into our hearts and causing us to be well aware of what has been done for us. So we ask that thou would bless tonight and be with us, forgive our many sins, and cause thy word to run into hearts, to sanctify thy people and to save precious souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to a point where there is a shift in Messiah in which we have dealt with all the prophetic passages that lead up to this point. Every verse that we have looked at already is looking forward, it is anticipating the great event of the arrival of the promised Messiah. And we come now to the actual event itself when he arrives on the scene. When you come to this portion of Handel's music, he seems to meander. I was listening to it again and, and thinking it's almost like the meandering of it is, is an insight into the intertestamental period where we have heard all the prophetic kind of information, the, the promise of what's to come, 
Uh, and now there's this, this waiting period. And then we move into the soprano who begins to bring us through the language of verse 8 and following. And it crescendos then in verse 14 with the great chorus, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It's beautiful. It is truly beautiful. But it's the truth that is more powerful. It's the fact that these things are real. And as we look at this passage here this evening, I trust it will be of encouragement to you. The particular section dealt with by Handel is verses 8 through 14, which will be the focus of our attention tonight. And as we come to this passage again, I was reading over it and thinking of, of Joseph and Mary. They've come to Bethlehem in the way that God and His providence have brought them there, moving from Nazareth. Uh, Joseph being, um, I think, showing his love and attention to his wife, not wanting to leave her alone while he's out of town, realizing she is going to give birth. He shows care and concern and says, you're going to have to come with me. Again, who knew? Who really understood what Mary was going through more than Joseph? It must have been a very anxious and worrying time for her. And Joseph understood this. He understood he needed to be in proximity to his wife during this anxious season. I don't say that some kind of sinful anxiety. I mean the reality. Here is someone who is pregnant in a way that is impossible to explain unless God Himself reveals it. And you, you understand what has taken place because of what He has done in form of a miracle. So he, he takes his wife with him to Bethlehem for the reason that we have read. There is this need for a census. And as I was reading over this, something struck me for the first time reading this. My mind went back. I think I've shared this with you before, but for those who, who maybe aren't aware of it, but when Melanie was, was, was in labor with our first child, I had just started the Whitfield College of the Bible. And when you come into the college, it's Dr. Douglas, the principal at the time, would lay out very strict rules. I mean, you understood, not that it was like going to military school, but there was a sense of expectation of what's expected, of what happens if you don't measure up. And he spends the first two days, hours in the first two days, helping you understand what's expected and so on. So I'm sitting there, first year, you know, trying to do what's right. And a few days later, my wife is, really, it was just, I guess it was about a month, maybe three weeks or so later that Melanie is just, she's in labor with, with Elissa. And I'm, I, one of the things you were told was you do not miss a day, right? You do not miss, you're, you don't take off days, you turn up. So I'm preparing, getting ready to go to college that morning. Melanie's already in labor and I see her, she's you know, standing at the back of the sofa, kind of moving her hips from side to side and all the things that ladies do. And, and I'm, I say, well, just let me know when you know, it's closer and I'll, I'll come. And, 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 <laughs> and just as I'm turning my back to go out the door, I can discern, I just discern it. She didn't say a word, I just discerned a tear. And I turned and looked and sure enough, there was a tear and I thought, Maybe I should stay. <laughs> I should. <laughs> and uh, so I did. I did. <laughs> and uh, I, I felt guilty reading this, but Joseph understood that Mary needed him to be with her. I'm not, was it here? I'm off to Bethlehem. You stay here and uh, leave you on your own. So I felt like Joseph had wit that I, I just barely, just barely had enough of not to walk out 
and to stay there. And so as a word to you men as well, our, our wives need us and discern the times when they need us. Don't, don't, don't be, uh, just say, well, you'll be fine on your own. There are times when you need to be there. And be very aware of that. And you wives, help your men to understand, uh, even with, if it's through a silent tear, uh, use whatever means you can to communicate to him because we're sometimes a little slow. Anyway, so we come to this portion and the verses that we're looking at, again, it's, there's not much I can say to you that really elevate them to the place that they should have in your thinking. This is tremendous. And as we consider it tonight, I've given the title, Announcing Messiah's Arrival. That's what's happening. We've been going through all the prophetic passages, pointing to it. Now it's announ- the announcement has come, and He is here. Note with me, first of all, the recipients. The recipients. Verse 8, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now some note when you come to this passage that shepherds were not a trusted class in the society. Some have gone so far, and I don't know exactly whether this can be proven or what documents they're using for this. It may be available. I'm just not sure how to point you in that direction. But they have said statements that that relate to the fact that even in a legal setting, shepherds were not permitted to be used within court. They were not a trusted class. Now, when you think about that, you think it seems harsh, and of course it is. But, but, in, in employment that takes men away from family, takes men away from the home, and is very male-dominant, you will find that generally there will be a decline in the moral fabric of, of those men. Generally, that will be the case. So you think in the modern context, oil rigs and so on. Men who go and work in those environments, often they become worse unless they have very strong understanding of of morals, ethics, and a value system that is rock solid, then they they will probably kind of morph into this this deteriorating company. I remember even some years ago when we were going through uh, the Pilgrim's arrival here, and and Dr. Matsko shared with me one of his talks comparing Jamestown to the Pilgrims that went to Plymouth Rock. And part of the issue of what happened in Jamestown was because they were all meals, and it was all economy-driven. And because they were meals, and they weren't families, the, the death rate and the, the just very stark difference in terms of what happened there. Well, you have an employment that is male-dominant. It keeps them away uh, from their families oftentimes, and with that comes a decline even in their character. And I imagine that would be the case. Maybe not for these particular shepherds, but generally so. And I don't know exactly how they lived. I don't know whether with this revelation they were converted or whether these were shepherds that were anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. It doesn't give us specific details. Uh, It certainly would appear that they would have knowledge and they would have some understanding. And I think if I was to be pushed, I would suggest these men did know the Lord. And they were, they were waiting for and desirous for the arrival of the Lord. But it's a reminder to us of all the kind of context in which God could come and announce the arrival and the fulfillment of the messianic promises that He comes not to the temple or not to the home of some devout priest or some other religious individual. He, 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 he comes into an obscure place in the wilderness 
where there are a few shepherds and reveals to them this glorious news. And you can't miss what has been communicated there, that God is reaching out and He is indicating that the arrival of His Son is for people that imagine themselves to be outcasts, that feel themselves to be snubbed and excluded from society. He comes and says, no, no, no. If your if understanding of my love is that it is, is, is particular towards those who may live a certain type of, of life or have a certain occupation, and those of you that are out in the fields living this kind of life, like a shepherd life or some other, some other position that is not esteemed, let's say, by society, if, if you think like that and you've been taught to think like that, I'm come to change your perception. No, I am, I am here to announce to you, people like you, this glorious truth that the Savior is born. So if you're here tonight and you feel yourself to be not welcome, that God doesn't love you, that God's not interested in you, that His people perhaps aren't interested in you, and I, I hope that's not the case, but anything that makes you feel like you're cut off or excluded or second-rate or whatever, that is that you read this passage and see God addressing those who may have felt the same way. The entire ministry of our Lord is going to be most impactful among those that are like these shepherds. And so right from the beginning, God comes to them. Shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, just, just going about their business. Isn't it wonderful how, how the Lord can step into a life when no one was looking for it and no one was expecting it? You're just going about your business it's just another day, just another evening, and He comes, and forever your life is transformed. That is true, of course, in our salvation. Often it comes unannounced, as it were. In one sense, we're not prepared for it. We're just going through our lives, and all of a sudden we're being confronted with the gospel. We feel the weight of our sin, and we're being pointed to Christ, and we, we are being drawn, effectually drawn, into the arms of the Lord Jesus. But it's true in the Christian life as well. You just never know when God is going to come, right, arrive on your doorstep, as it were, and say, here's, here's something for you. Here's a new path. Here's a new ministry. I'm going to bring you into a different experience. Sometimes it's going to be one of immense blessing, and it's going to feel very fulfilling from the get-go. At other times, it's going to challenge you. It's going to test you. Never know just what God has around the corner for any of us. So the recipients. Also the revelation. The revelation. Verse 9. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone right about them, and they were sore afraid. So you have this language of the angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. And sometimes it explains or it's used in the Bible to refer to the appearances of angels and other times of, of the Lord himself. 
And so you have the announcements of the birth of Ishmael, Isaac, Samson. These are, are angels that appear to come and communicate the message from God. Other birth announcements seems to be the presence of God Himself right there. And so you have the same language here. God is dealing them with His people in a way that He had done before. He is, he is coming to them with a vital message and revealing Himself. The angel of the Lord. This is, this is something profound that is occurring just as we have scattered through the Old Testament. And what occurs? The glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, now this, this is even more wonderful. The glory of the Lord is signifying the very presence of God. God is, is making manifest the fact that He is here. Now, why is that relevant? Why is that so important? Because anyone who knows their, their Scriptures is aware that, that the glory of the Lord departed in the past. That these are people that have been waiting for the glory of God to come. Because according to their prophet Ezekiel, God had vacated the temple. He had left His people. Now, of course, among the remnant, He was there. Among the remnant, He abode and He blessed and He was with them the entire way, even through the exile and bringing them back into Jerusalem again. He was with them. But this manifestation of God's glory was not there in the same way. You read about it in Ezekiel chapter 8 and 9. You can see it. It's a, it's a horrifying scene, really, when you think of what Ezekiel's being shown and all the, the idolatry and all the apostasy that's going on. And, and you begin to see that the glory is, is vacating. It's leaving. It's ascending. It's disappearing. It's, it's going away from the people. But with these shepherds, again, not in the temple, you'd expect it's going to come. And we have texts that talk about he comes to his temple, suddenly he comes to his temple. But here in the announcement, you have this, this, this strange and very unpredictable experience where the glory of God descends in the wilderness at night to a people that you would never imagine this would occur to or happen to. You read through the Old Testament. Exodus 16, 10, 24, 16 and 17, 29, 43, 40, 44, 35, Leviticus 9, Numbers 14, 16, 20, 1 Kings 8, and on and on it goes. I have all these references about the glory of the Lord, the presence of God. So the presence of God is there. And what is their response? What happens in this revelation? Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. They were extremely fearful. Now, I have said this before. I say it briefly again tonight. This is what happens when God really reveals Himself. It is not a celebration. You don't, you don't naturally sense... You know, when God makes Himself known, it sobers men like little else. One thing, Christian, you need to live your life to be, quote-unquote, successful as a Christian is a consciousness of the presence of God. It is a consciousness of the presence of God that makes you stop before you say what you shouldn't say, do what you ought not to do. It's, a, it's that, that sense God is right there. When you lose that, you start to say and do and think and give yourself to things that you would not if you had a real awareness that He is there. 
So Christian, you should pray. You should pray. God, help me to have a consciousness of your presence. Not just in the house of God. We pray it for our services, but, but through your life. A God consciousness. Now, when the Lord reveals himself in a very profound fashion, as we have here, it brings fear. A deep sense of fear. And that is right. Again, there are other passages in the Scriptures that align with this experience. Even for Peter, whenever he sees the glory of Christ, when he told him that time to, to let down their nets for a draft, they cast on the other side of the ship, and Peter goes in obedience, and they pull in a draft of fishes at the net break, and he, he just falls down. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And there's this sense of fear that grips his heart, appears from the passage. You have it with John when, when in Revelation 1, when, when the risen Christ in his glory appears before the apostle John. It says he fell down as one dead. This, this is a profound, profound thing. And, and I, say, I say, beloved, it is something to pray for. It's something to pray for that God would make his presence known in this place. Make his presence known in your home. Make his presence known in your times of devotion, reading the word and prayer with the family or on your own. That you meet with God and you know it. We need, we need the Lord to reveal himself to us. It is for him. It is him that we seek. It is him that we need. The revelation. Thirdly, the report. Come to verse 10 through 12. You have this, this report. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the general theme, we'll see the general theme of this report and the specific detail, details of this report. What's the general theme? Well, verse 10 tells us the general theme. Fear not, right? That's first of all, just put that away, because not that it was a wrong response to what was happening, but in this occasion, they have no need to be fearful, because a message is coming of encouragement, of blessing, of favor, of mercy, of fulfillment. Fear not, for behold, look, see, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's the general theme. The general theme of the report is this. It is good tidings, good tidings. This is good. You don't need to be afraid because it's good. What I'm bringing to you is happy. This is a happy occasion. This, and this is why I think, I think we feel it. We feel it. There's a, certain, there's a certain aspect of particular joy with the Advent season. And I'm not getting into all, again, the arguments of those who are pro and against Advent and all that. That's maybe for another time. But but there is, for those who embrace it, for those who embrace it, there is an elevated sense of joy. There is. And, and I feel for those that can't, at least in some way, even if they feel that maybe there's excess to it, and certainly there can be excesses, or expressions that maybe aren't quite biblical, and that can happen. But I do feel for the person that just goes through December 
miserable about everyone else's enjoyment about the arrival of our Lord. I think, well, that, surely that cannot be the right response to it. You know, still be joyful. You should be almost envious. I wish, I wish I could be as joyful about something maybe you shouldn't be joyful about. But anyway, you know, like just entering into the joy. If you, you have a real sense of the truth hasn't changed, put it this way, Christ has come. And you have all people that are entering into the joy of it. And why shouldn't you be joyful about it as well? There is a real joy. And, and this is communicated. That's, that's what's wonderful about the opening chapters of Luke. It's, it's just joy, isn't it? It's just joy. It's a constant joy. Everyone's just elated. This is great. <laughs> this is great. We've been waiting for this. Like millennia have passed and this is what our forefathers have been praying for and anticipating, desiring, and it's, and it's here. This is not a day for just humdrum, just existing. This is, this is true joy. God has fulfilled His Word. So this is being announced to shepherds. Again, it's so strange. Why? In the middle of nowhere, go to, go to these shepherds. God's ways are not our ways, are they? We would do this so differently. We'd find the most notable characters, the most influential people of the era. We would, we would go, uh, is there not a sense, you know, when you, when you go back, is there not a sense in which Caesar Augustus would feel like if there's such an announcement to be made, it comes to me first? Or Cyrenus? Cyrenus? The, the, these individuals, maybe, maybe they might imagine that it should... It should come to them, these people of power, of influence, of position. No, to shepherds. So this is good news. Good news. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And the definite article's in there, which shall be to all the people. All the people. And I, I kind of wonder, is there a specificity intended there? The people. What people? Jew and Gentile. Of course. Of course. But, but not just Jew and Gentile, generally, Jew and Gentile in terms of the entire number for whom he has come. He has come for Jew and Gentiles, specific Jews and Gentiles. He is shedding his blood for his people. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what's going on here. So he has he arrived, and this is good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. The people, those, those precious people for whom he is going to shed his blood. Those people. Are you in that number? Are you, are you there? Because it, it can't really be good tidings of great joy if you're not found among the people. If you're excluded from the people, that would be sad. The shepherds knew they were included. They were being invited into this, to enjoy this if they weren't already converted. But I wonder about you. Oh, no, you, you, can't, you can't find great joy in a season of Advent of, of remembering the, the coming of the Lord. You, you cannot find joy in it if it's not for you. That you're sitting here tonight and you don't know whether whether it's for you. Well, I trust that you make sure you're found in this group. You say, how do I know? How do I know? 
that I am found there? How do I know that those people I am, I am among? I tell you, you do what all those people do. You, you know you're in there when you do what they've all done. What have they all done? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do that. That's what you have to do. How do I know I'm found among these people? Believe. That's what they've all done. They're, they come from all different parts of the world. They've They've had all their own different stories. They're, they're different. Every one of them, different. And yet you, you ask, well, well, how are they his people? They're, they're so different. Look at them. They, they look different. They're living in different eras. They come from different nations. They speak different languages. So how do they become his people? How do they become part of the people? The one uniform reality is, as sinners, they believed to the saving of their soul. That's what you must do. You're a sinner. You need to believe. So the general theme of this report, what a happy theme it is. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Yes, God comes. God comes. And it's very sobering when He comes. But when He comes with, with good tidings, that, that gives us a sense of relief. But then the specific details of the report. What are the specific details? Well, we're told in verse 11 and 12. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. First of all, it is a day in history. Unto you is born this day. This day. He is born this day. That's significant. You pass over that and you don't think about it, but that's significant because this is not mythology here. This is his history. This happened in, at a time, on a day. There were other people in the world. They were doing all sorts of things. In that area, the vast majority of them may be sleeping already. Other parts of the world, they're just going about their business as however that may have looked 2,000 years ago. But there was this day, this, this day. And when Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter 4, he speaks, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And the fullness of the time has come in a, in, a, in a specific moment foreordained in the plan of God this day. That's important. Don't pass over that. God invades time. He who dwells in eternity comes into time. It's stunning. I don't know how we're going to tra traverse. That's one of the most mind-boggling things, isn't it? Us living in this linear existence where there's a beginning and an end, we're going to enter into an existence where it's unending. And what, I mean, and what place does time have? How do we think in terms of... I mean, that's, I mean, you just can't get your head around that. But it's the same, the reverse. When you're eternally existent, and you take a body and come into time, and then you say, he was born this day. Oh, well, we know it's tied up in his humanity, but, but trying to think of, of that condescension. A day in history. Also a place in the world. A place in the world. It tells us, Unto you is born this day in the city of David. The city of David. A place. Again, not a mythical place. Not made up. 
Not, not something you read about in, you know, Lewis and Tolkien and Greek mythology or whatever. We're not, we're not talking about anything like that. I it's, don't want to be too critical of some of that stuff, but I think, I think there is an argument to be careful about mystical lands. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put my scruples upon you like it's, like it's the law, but I just think we need to be careful because the Lord deals with us in time and in places, real places. And it's, I think it's good for us just to remember that. He doesn't bring us into mythical places to tell us stories. He keeps it really rooted in reality. He comes into a real world, this world, your world, the world in which you live. And that's good. That's good. It's not legend. It's not legend. It's, it's here. You can go there. You can go to that place. It's the place of Bethlehem. It's where Rachel was buried. Right, so so they, they, the city of David. Rachel was buried there. That happened centuries ago. She was buried there. And, and Boaz was from there. And of course, David, that's, that's the city he's from. This, this, is, this, is, this is a real place where people lived. And now another person is coming into this place. And he is, he is right there. Bethlehem. You know exactly where to go. They knew. They knew they weren't wondering, where's Bethlehem? How do you get there? It's not by going through some closet and appearing out the other side in some new world. It's, it's so many miles away in this direction from where we are. And you can go there. So, this is, this is what we want. This is, this is the kind of report we want. We don't want. We don't want the Lord coming and saying, for unto you is born in some spiritual fashion in a place you can't go to, a mythical Savior. You don't want that. That <laughs> can't do anything for you. It cannot do anything for you. What you need, sinner, what you need is God to come to a place at a time and, of course, for a specific work, which brings us to a title for Messiah. A day in history, a place in the world, a title for the Messiah. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, Messiah, the Lord. It's great, isn't it? That's wonderful. Why is that wonderful? There, this day, this place, there is not an entertainer, not a celebrity, not the greatest sports person that ever lived or the most gifted or the highest IQ individual or whatever you might be drawn to. No, no, no. No, because as mesmerizing as their gifts might be, they can't save you. Those celebrities you watch get, draw your attention, young people, maybe older people too, they can't save you. Oh, how, how much time we, we give to knowing the details about people who can't do anything for us. People who don't even want to do anything for us except get our attention. Because with our attention, you get enough of us who are silly enough to give all that attention. With that comes 
money. So what do we read? We read that the one who's born is a saviour. Why is that so good to know? Why is that good news? That's good news because that's what sinners need. Sinners need a saviour. So if you don't see yourself to be a sinner, then this is not that wonderful. I mean, it's, it's nothing to be celebrating in the middle of the night. But if you know yourself to be a sinner, you can go through the multitudes of humanity, all the myriads of men, past, present, future, look at them all. They can't save you. Except for this one. Savior. Oh, whenever some political figure arrives, when the, you know, the polarizing of Western society, not just Western society, but obviously we're, we're very aware of what's going on in our own place, our own geography, and the polarizing, and the polarizing, the constant polarizing, what, what, does, it, what does it do? It, it, it creates this tension, and there is then this, this desire in the hearts of men, we need, we need a Savior to break the tension, to overcome the strength of the other side, finally, in this tug of war. And you, you get drawn. You get drawn into the political drama, and you get drawn into ideas of, of God-like, deified status of politicians who will just be another name in the annals of history, and they never save the person. Not one person. Can't even save themselves. So you need to see the Savior. This is the one you need to see. This is the one who should get your attention. This is the one that you should wake up and rejoice in. He is a Savior, and He is Lord. Christ the Lord. Isn't that great? The Lord who came upon them and caused them fear is the Lord who has come as Messiah to be a Savior. Fourthly, the refrain. We've seen the recipients, the revelation, the report. Now we have the refrain. Suddenly, you can see verse 12, we'll not really say much there. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's, again, playing into the whole idea of this literal, you can see this, it's factual, this is evidence. There's a sign for you to help you understand this is actually taking place. My words, my words will be proven true when you see this. But we come to the refrain. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Who are the participants? We have its participants in verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Suddenly. Like just boom out of nowhere. You think, well, they could have come with the angel of the Lord initially, but they didn't. They wait. They're somewhere else. And then, as he utters these words, as he communicates this report, the words are no sooner out of the mouth 
of the messenger that suddenly an army from heaven descends upon the scene. Why? I don't know if I can be dogmatic, but I get the sense that when such truth is communicated, sinless, rational creatures respond this way. They, they, they are drawn to, to praise the event and the one that is being spoken of. Suddenly, there was with the angel. You can't talk this way. You can't talk about, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and not have an invasion of participants from heaven who say, we're there to join in the significance of this event. We have to be there. Oh, they're, they're teaching us something there, aren't they? You know, the, the problem with these events like this is they're, they're designed to teach us something that may actually break through a particular event and apply to all sorts of other things as well. Let me be specific. When such truths as these are being declared and announced and dwelt upon, they move into action to enter into the celebration of it. Now, what happens here in this place on the Lord's day? Is it not a rejoicing in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us? Are we not declaring and professing and rejoicing and celebrating and worshiping the one who has come to do this? And should there not be then, you know, Lord's Day morning, suddenly, you know, you just come into the house of God to, to, to enter into it. I want to be there. It's right there, celebrating this. Not rolling over on my mattress Just some sleepy eye, you know, turn on the Roku and maybe watch the service. From, you know, you might just prop your head up on the pillow and whatnot. I mean, that's not it. If you're sick or whatever, that's obviously different. But, you know, I mean, participants. Yes, the whole, an army from heaven. What a scene. Oh, to have seen it. Praising God. But not only its participants we have in this refrain, its particulars. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Two particulars here that I want to dwell on just for a moment. The coming of Christ is the highest glory of God. And the coming of Christ is the greatest peace to men. These two things are come, come together, they're married in which you have the glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You have to see the connection here. You have to be able to see. I don't know if I dealt with this when I was going through it so long ago. I can't remember. And I did a completely different outline for this message from whatever I dealt with the last time ever I looked at this passage. But you, you, see, you have to see the connection. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What are men craving? What, what, are we, what do we crave? We crave peace. Peace. 
Just give me peace. The tension, the fighting, the unrest, the argumentation, the squabbling, the animosity, the in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in the world. There's, there's, we all know this, you know. Those pageants, those poor girls, they always come on, we want world peace, you know. It's like, cause they know this. There's something in us, we, we want that. We want peace. And we want it not just abroad, generally. We want it in our own lives. Peace. I mean, is that not really what is one of the major issues with our young people today? I say our young people. I don't know to what degree it may be relevant here, but it's certainly true generally, broadly out there. Very disturbed young people. And they have no peace. They don't have peace. So what do they seek after when they don't have peace? What do they seek after? They seek after peace, don't they? If you don't have it, you go after it, don't you? I don't have peace. So in some way, you you pursue peace. And you think by this you'll get peace. You try to figure out in your confused head, this this is peace. But the pursuit, the goal, is peace. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's love and relationships. Maybe it's fame and fortune, maybe it's success in education or business or whatever. But the different ways we're wired, we're, we're pursuing peace. Let me let you in on the way to peace. Follow me here. You need to see this. The way to peace is not to prioritize peace in and of itself as the objective of your life. That's the wrong way to go about it. The way to obtain peace is to give glory to God, is to make the end of your life His glory, to realize that this is the chief end of man, to glorify God, that this is why we're made, Revelation 4.11, that all creatures, everything in this world is is for the end, the purpose of bringing glory to God. And they're, they're, they're telling you here, they're telling you here something. This is the focus. This, this, with the arrival of Christ, glory to God in the highest. This is, this is the most elevated, God-glorifying event in all of human history. And you're meant to enter into that. You are meant to enter into the significance of what has happened this occasion, this night, Bethlehem, the city of David. You are meant to enter in and say, That's, this is the chiefest glory of what God has done. He sent His Son. He took on flesh. He suffered in my place. He bled and died at the cross. He rose again from the grave. He has taken my humanity, joined to His deity, forever, so that there is the God-man at the right hand of the Father living to make intercession for us, who sympathizes with me, who understands the sorrows of humanity and prays over the burdens of His people. 
This is the greatest, the greatest thing that ever God did. This is what to live for. You need to understand that. You need to get up in the morning and say, do I want peace in my life? This, this is the goal. How can I enter into the greatest act God ever did to display His glory? How can I share it? How can I enjoy it? How can I make much of it? How can I celebrate it? It's, just, it's finding out ways to enter into this great act that brings glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. When you live with that as your number one goal, set aside all your fears, set aside your preferences, set aside your ambitions, set aside your comforts and all your plans and all of it. Just to set it aside for a moment and recalibrate the reason why you're here. If you make this central, it will be peace to your soul. There is a relationship between these two. See people who live with one end to glorify God, they, they have all the peace they will ever need. So they can stare at the martyr's place right there. It's being set up for them. And they're being dragged from their dungeon to the center of the town where they're going to be called upon to recant or they will burn. And they have peace. Indescribable peace. The two Margarets, as they wait for the tide to come in, those monstrous men tying them to stakes as the tide comes in, expecting them to renounce their faith as the water comes up over their shoulders and up their necks and to their mouths and surely they'll recant. No. No. We will not. You can drown us right here. And they did. Drowned right there. With peace. Peace. Why? Glory to God in the highest. If this is how I glorify Him, if this is how I enter into what He has done, this is the greatest way that I can bring glory to His name. This is what I was made for. This is why I exist. Peace. Young people, you need to get a hold of this. You really do. Because the disturbances of your mind and heart, they're very real. I don't minimize them. And your head is being turned by a world that doesn't care about your peace. And even when it does care, it doesn't know how to give it to you. But your God does. Your God does. And he says, enter into this. Glory to God in the highest. Let that be your chief aim. How can I, with this 
17-year-old frame of mine, with all the world before me and all my hopes and dreams, how can I most glorify God and have peace? Well, Joseph, glad you asked. I'm going to make you a slave. I'm going to send you to Egypt. You're going to spend 13 years working for Potiphar in his home and then down in a dungeon there for a while too. And that's how you're going to glorify me and you're not going to understand it. You're not going to understand it because you have all these, this other, these, these dreams, a word from God that indicates your, your glory, your own ascent over your parents and over your siblings. And the word of God will try you, as it tells us in the Psalm. 106, I think it is. And you're, you're going to struggle to understand it. But, but don't lose heart, Joseph. 17-year-old Joseph. 20-year-old Joseph, cut off from family and friends, but, but why am I here to glorify God? And so he has peace. Peace enables him to be the best slave that Potiphar has, to be the best prisoner in the prison, and finally to be brought before the king of Egypt himself, probably the most powerful man on the planet, who sees, can we find such a man as this? You've never seen a character like this before. All the wise men of Egypt don't, they don't stack up. Why? Because Joseph lived by a different set of values. And that was marked upon his life. The king of Egypt could see it. Pharaoh knew it. There's, there's a mark on this man's life. He is unlike anyone I have ever met. Here's second command. You don't know what God will do with you if you make your chief goal glorifying Him. It is the way of peace. Enter into it, child of God. Enter into it. And those of you unsaved, those of you staggering, those of you backslidden, those of you who are halting, those of you who are kind of trying to put one foot in a Christian world, another foot in a, in a secular world, and do your own thing, there's no peace. Wake up, there's no peace. I know it. I know it. There's hardly a more miserable person on the planet than the person who, who knows that their chief end is to glorify God, and yet they're doing something else. So Surrender. Surrender. Surrender where you are. Surrender now. You're asking all these questions. Why don't things work out? Why don't, you know, you're, you're filled with anxieties and concerns and you've no peace because you've got the wrong objective. Peace. On earth, peace. Ah, there's no, no peace like in the heart of the believer, fully resigned to his God. Oh, maybe we all have it. Maybe we all enjoy it. Let's bow together in prayer. Let me let me be focused to the youth and young adults of our congregation, let me address you 
I don't know if you believe what I have said tonight. I don't know if it has sunk in. I I so wish I had words that helped you understand how critical it is that you get this now and not later. And I have seen far too many make shipwreck and live for years in constant turmoil. Just always turmoil. And you try to tell them, surrender. Surrender your heart. Give up your life to Christ. If I can be of any help to you, please let me know. Lord, help us all to live, to glorify Thee. Even when we eat and drink, this is to glorify God. To do it in a way that glorifies God. The most mundane things. Let's do it for Thy glory. Help us with this, we pray. For those that are new and young and struggling, help them. Give them unusual clarity of mind, comprehension of your will for their lives, and a desire to to say with the hymn writer, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Work in the heart of the backslidden. Snap those chains. Cut those ropes that pull them into a world that is without mercy. Oh, make this congregation... Let it be filled with this, this truth. There is a church whose whole aim and goal is the glory of their God. Bless the time of fellowship here and downstairs and strengthen us for each day of this week. We know not what's on the morrow. We ask that Thou wilt help us with each of our responsibilities. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all Thy people now and evermore.